0: Hello and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Welcome
1: at the front verse of the first chapter. Verse Thessalonians. Teach you, brethren, know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Be that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from the appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this kiss will be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you. We can call upon you in our times of need, in our grief, in the midst of our problems, worries that beset us, the uncertainties of our lives, and can be drawn to you for assurance and comfort and blessing. Be in our midst this morning to deal with every heart as each person has need. This we pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Let me take you back in your mind to the day of Pentecost for a moment. You remember that Jesus had instructed his followers, about 120 of them, to gather together in a room on the second floor of the upper room. There they were to wait until they had been empowered from on high by the Holy Spirit. They weren't sure as to what this experience might be. But on the day that the Holy Spirit came, there was evidence physically in their midst because the, uh, that the Holy Spirit had come because there was a what was described as a tongue of fire sitting upon each of them. But more importantly, it was the coming of the Spirit into their hearts that gave them the power to do what they were soon to do. They were filled from God above with the person of the Holy Spirit. He was there. There was a tremendous change in their attitude as a consequence. Instead of being fearful, they were now bold. Instead of being contained behind locked doors, they burst open those doors and went out into the street, and there began to preach the gospel, and many people were saved as a consequence. Well, Paul closes his letter to the Thessalonians with with several short admonitions. The one that we want to look at this morning is 19, but look at the things that... He says up to that point, in in the 12th verse, he says for us to hold in, in high esteem those that are leaders in the church, to love them because of the work, Twelve and 13th verses. He says in the 13th verse as well that we should be peaceful with each other. He says in the 14th verse that we ought to exhort and warn those who are unruly and and comfort the feeble-minded, and support the weak, and be patient with everybody. He says to see to it that nobody renders evil for evil to, to any person. Always follow what's good. He says to be joyful. In verse 17, he says to pray unceasingly. Verse 18, where we've just come through the Thanksgiving season, to give thanks for all things to God, but the one I want us to notice this morning is the verse 19, when he says, do not quench the spirit. If you did a study of the word quench, you would discover that it could be stated in several different ways. It could be stated to do not extinguish, or to, it might mean to cool suddenly, or to cause to lose heat, or to dampen. It could mean to become calm, to subside. It might mean, as the living Bible gives it, to smother. Or as Paul states it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it might be described as grieving. In which one comes from a high state of expectancy and uh, uh, determination and faith to really cooling down to being nearly worthless. Paul said to the Ephesians, To grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I would like to speak a whole sermon on the word "seal," but I'll be, uh, yield not to the temptation to do so and, and move on. The point that Paul is making that it is possible to choke out, to restrict, to dampen one's witness by dampening, holding back, refusing to allow allow the Holy Spirit to do in your life and in mine what he is there to do. We have all gone through periods of time when we have done indeed that. We know that the scripture teaches us that God dwells inside every Christian person. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God And that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? We've got to understand that first and foremost. That in every Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells. We are the temple of God. Not this building. Not the temple that was in Jerusalem and was destroyed in 70 AD and will be rebuilt during the tribulation. Not that temple. Not a building. For God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in people. And you and I who have accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior has in us The dwelling of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it is possible for us to squeeze that spirit that is in us to make him ineffective in what he's there to do. He dwells within us for a purpose. We can keep him from fulfilling his purpose by dampening his witness, by cooling off in our testimony, by subsiding in our eagerness to serve the Lord, by losing our heat. Well, what is he in us for? Let me suggest a few things that I believe that we ought to emphasize the Holy Spirit is in us for a purpose. One of the purposes that he dwells within us is to give us the assurance that we're saved. The assurance of salvation is well taught throughout the scripture. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit Now listen to the words again. The Spirit itself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, I think the little word are was placed there by God purposely. Let me reread it and take the word are out and put something else in its place and see how it sounds to you. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we may someday be the children of God. I can't buy that, can you? Let me read it another way. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we one time were the children of God, but we've lost it. How else can you interpret "are" other than meaning that we always are, never-ending, unceasing? We are the children of God, and we know it because the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit to tell us that we are, A-R-E, a continuing, ongoing, John 14, 16. You want to go back there with me a minute? John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition, it'll be in red letters. He says, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter, whom we know, of course, to be the Holy Spirit. Then what does he say? That he, that is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Forever means forever. There's no other way to interpret it as far as I know. Number one, then, we are saying that the Holy Spirit dwells within us to assure us that we are saved. Now, don't go away from John 14. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Just keep your finger there. Number two, the Holy Spirit dwells within us to provide us with, with guidance, to provide us with guidance for our life. Sometimes we think that we're out here floating around all by ourselves without anybody to give us direction. And we fail to realize that inside us is the person of the Holy Spirit whose job it is to be a guide to us. Amen. Now, Romans 8, 14. You don't need to turn there. Let me quote it to you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Look at John 14, verse 26 you have your finger there. Jesus still speaking, but the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. And right there is my evidence. You see, I haven't misquoted. The Comforter is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He's speaking now before the Holy Spirit has come. He didn't come to the day of Pentecost, and Jesus is still on earth, so he hasn't come yet. Whom the Father will send in my name. What is he going to do He shall teach you all things. Not only that, but bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And that's what the apostles did when they put into writing the things that that, uh, they remembered. The Holy Spirit reminded them the Holy Spirit is in our lives for the purpose of giving us direction. The problem is we don't listen to him. We quench him, dampen him. <coughs> Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is in us to reproduce the character of Christ. I want you to go to Galatians, and then I'm going to repeat that statement. You want to go to Galatians chapter five with me? First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So Galatians, right there in the middle. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. Now, my statement is, the Holy Spirit is in us to reproduce in us the character of Christ. He wants to make us like Jesus is. That's his purpose. In us to make us like Jesus is. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, those things that the Spirit produces, now look at them, is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, nine of them stated. Take those nine statements and compare them to the person of Jesus Christ and do not have him described. Jesus is the epitome of love and joy and peace and long-suffering. He's all of that. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to produce in us those very same qualities. He wants to make us like Jesus is. And when we fall short of producing those good fruits, it's because we have somehow kept the Holy Spirit from doing what he came to do. When we're unloving, it's because we've stopped the process. When we are not kind, when we're not meek, when we're not good, when we lose our faith, when we're not long suffering, it's because we have stifled the Holy Spirit from doing in us what he wants to do. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit is in us so that he can lead us in prayer. Go back to Romans, turn left, just right after Acts. Romans chapter 8. A very important verse. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's capitalized, meaning the reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That surely is true, is it not? We don't know what we ought to pray for. We are confused as to how we ought to pray. We think that our prayers are are all muddled, and we get get all uptight. We simply don't know how to pray, and the disciples ask Jesus to teach them. All right. He confesses that we don't know how to pray as we should, and in the middle of the verse, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit again, itself, maketh intercession... That is, praise for the Holy Spirit, praise for us with groanings. And you can write in your margin there the word feelings. The Holy Spirit prays for us with feelings which cannot be uttered, which means expressed. The Holy Spirit prays for us with feelings that cannot be expressed. He, excuse me he takes our weakness our feebleness and when he goes to the throne with it he prays for us in words to God that are good and eloquent he takes our weakness and makes something out of it he's there when we pray. When we say, Lord, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. I've got a problem and we can't even state the problem. The Holy Spirit sorts all of that out and tells God what the problem is. in our behalf, He's there for that purpose. Then why is it that if He's there for such benefit to us in our lives, to reproduce in us the character of Christ, to help us in our praying, to provide guidance for our life and to assure us that we're saved, that we want to stifle him. But we do it. How do we do it, is the question. Let me say three things about how we do it. One of the first things that we do that stifles the Holy Spirit and grieves him is that we simply plain ignore that he's present. We ignore him. This is how we treat God. God's way up there, and we're way down here, and there seems to be no relationship that we have with him. We just ignore him. Oh, yeah, we know there's a God. We're there. So many people treat the Lord Jesus the same way. Just turn him off. Treat him as if he did not exist. You know, one of the worst things that anybody can do to another person is to ignore them. I get unhappy when I'm ignored. If I want to talk, nobody wants to listen. It disturbs me. I want people to listen. You do too. You know, when we get together and everybody wants to talk at the same time and you're and nobody's listening to you, you get sort of angry about that. Listen. The Holy Spirit does not want or light to be ignored. He's closer to us than anybody. For He lives in us. And we just turn Him off as if He weren't there.
0: And then wonder
1: why things go so bad. I can't get through to God in my praying. I don't know what to do in life. I'm not even sure I'm saved. Listen, if you have those feelings just because you've turned the Holy Spirit off, Therefore, you've quenched what he's there to do. It's time that we recognize that we are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit does well in us. Secondly, another way that we quench the Holy Spirit is just plain old outright disobedience. We know what's right, what we ought to do, but we disobey, deliberately disobey. And the first time we disobey, it bothers us. The Holy Spirit is dealing with us. The second time we disobey, it's slightly easier. And on and on we go until finally we have disobeyed so long that it seems like we're doing right. And the Holy Spirit has become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer in our life because we're covering him up, stifling, refusing to allow him to work in our life. This grieves him. I shall never in my life forget, many, many years ago, as a young person, I laid on my father a tremendous burden. I sat down with he and my mother one night and described to him my situation that was not so good. if I was to go in and I had made the wrong turn, I had made the wrong decision. And I remember waking up in the night down the hall from their room and I heard my dad in heavy sobs crying for me because of the situation that, that I was in. I had grieved him deep. And i thought many, many times since then, this is what we do to God in the person of the Holy Spirit who's in our life. We simply grieve Him so badly that surely God Himself must be weeping tears over what we've done. We strike Him. Sometimes we simply say, Well, it's my life. I will do with it as I please. And it's nobody's business what I do. Wrong. The scripture says, ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians verse 19 and 20. Ye are not your own. Listen, if you are a Christian, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. And whatever you and I do that is contrary to God stifles the power of the Spirit to work through us for God's glory. And Paul says we're not alone. We're bought with a price. Yes, Jesus paid the price on the cross of Calvary. The highest price that was ever paid for anybody. No slave ever brought on the auction block what you brought on the block of Calvary of what I brought. Jesus paid the full price because he loved me. Why is it then that you and that I and that the world in general would desire to say, Well, I'm my own man. I'll do as I please when we are not. So someone will come along and say, well, I'll tell you what, then I'm going to disown you. I'm no longer going to be a child of God. No, you're not either. Brother, you were born into the family of God and you will stay in the family of God. And you'll be treated as a child of God. And if that means discipline, you'll get the discipline. We don't get out of the family. All of us have running through our veins the blood of our father." And it makes no difference who he was, but blood is still there. <clears throat> I don't know if all of you know who your father is or not, but there are many people in this world who do not know of our biological father. He's never identified. But I tell you, his blood runs through your veins. And you can't get rid of it. His identity is marked upon your body. You cannot do enough plastic surgery to even disguise it. But if you could disguise it, the fact is, the father is the father. Will always be, from moment of conception, forever. And when a person is born into the family of God, through the spiritual birth process we call the second birth, you have become a child of God, and there's not a thing you can do about it. You will be a child of God. Why then, if we are his child, do we grieve him? But we do. Let's do one more thing. You want to go to Galatians with me again? Right after First and Second Corinthians. Chapter 5. Verses 16 and 17. Pardon me, I was trying to look at chapter 6 and I knew the verses didn't match. Verse 16 and 17 of chapter 5. This I say then. Here is a command, charge, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to get away from sin? Let the Holy Spirit shine in your life, and you will. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 17. For the flesh lusteth after the Spirit. I'm sorry. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. Listen, if we're trying to live for the world and the Holy Spirit at the same time, there is a conflict inside us. The Holy Spirit is not about to give up without a fight and let us be taken over by the powers of the devil. That's his home. And he's going to fight for the right to stay there. You talk about a war. There's going to be a war when we try to live one way when we're supposed to be living another. We all have been guilty of it and probably will be guilty of it again. Time and time again, we find ourselves in this continual conflict. Paul said, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. Let me tell you, I'm that way, and I'm sure all of you all as well. We have that continual conflict. And the reason we have it is that we haven't walked close enough with the Spirit so that the Spirit can be the power in our life that puts out all of those influences of the world that, of course, are there because of Satan. The Holy Spirit is in our life and in our heart to bring us to a level of living far beyond that of the world. Why do we resist living a better life? But we do it. Why? Because Satan is still trying to kick out the Holy Spirit and take his place in our life and we assist the devil in doing this by yielding to his temptations and powers instead of remaining firm and secure in the person of the holy spirit let us pray